Colossians chapter 1 is not typically the last lesson in this traditional service. I picked Colossians chapter 1 because of its unique description of the supremacy of Jesus the Son. He came on that first Christmas, and we're going to look at three things very briefly this morning. Who is he? Why did he come? And how should we respond? First, who is he? Paul starts in verse 14 by describing Jesus as the image of the invisible God. God is spirit. He is unseen. And so in the first coming of Jesus, he took on flesh in order to reveal himself to us. Incarnation is that big word that we use to describe God in the flesh. It simply means enfleshed. Um, um, And we've sung about this over the past few weeks from Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. That is the heart of the Christmas miracle. And in the same verse, Paul goes on to call Jesus the firstborn over all creation. This is not a statement about his humanity. This is a statement about his status. Paul's first century uh, um, audience, the, the recipients of this letter to the church, would have immediately gotten that because in that culture, the firstborn was the one who had all the rights of inheritance. He got uh, two shares for every other son in the household. The firstborn of a king was the one prepared to rule and reign after his father's passing. This cannot be saying that Jesus was the first one born, let alone Jesus was the first created being, because Paul goes on right in verse 16 to say that all things have been created by Jesus and for Jesus. He is the originator of all things. As God, he is no less divine than the Father. This is not a Bethlehem nativity statement. This is a cosmic ruler of the universe statement. He's the firstborn. He has status over all of creation. There's one more statement about Jesus I want to highlight from verse 18. Paul calls Jesus the firstborn from among the dead. Now, if we think back to the Gospels, Jesus had already raised a dead girl back to life. He had already called his friend Lazarus out of the tomb where he had been for three or four days. But Jesus rising from the dead is unique on Easter Sunday. Each of those people died again. But in Jesus' resurrection, he conquered sin and its worst consequence of death once and for all. Death no longer had a claim upon him. He was triumphant. And that reality leads Paul to this conclusion, the end of verse 18, so that in everything Jesus might have the supremacy. All of that leads us to uh, the why question. Why would God humble himself by taking on human flesh in order to die? It's nice that Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead, but why, as God, would he have had to die to begin with? Our typical sixth lesson shows us why. John chapter 1 starts with these words, In the beginning... And again, uh, John's first century audience would have immediately recalled in their Hebrew Old Testament familiarity the very first words of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created. 
what is the Apostle John trying to tell us in the coming of Jesus at Christmas? Creation, Genesis 1-1. Recreation, John 1-1. Jesus has come to renew all things. And why is that necessary? Because as far back as Genesis chapter 3, sin entered the world, introducing this corrupting, decaying influence upon all of creation, rupturing the perfect relationship between God and His people. A spiritual and physical cancer invaded God's people and God's world, bringing death. That's why Jesus' first coming was all about reconciling to the Father all things, verse 20, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Christmas and Good Friday are always linked in salvation. Jesus is the first sign. He's the down payment of a new world order. The very end of the Bible tells us that all things will be made new. And Jesus' victory over death as the firstborn the first one reborn from among the dead is the clearest evidence that that promise will be fulfilled. He was born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. We cannot just hear this good news of God's salvation sacrifice in giving His own Son and continue on our merry way. The Christmas event demands a response. And let me briefly point us to three aspects of a response. First of all, submitting all of life to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. On Christmas morning, kids, let's say over the age of two with enough awareness, and still young enough that they don't need to play it cool and stay in bed pretending that it's not a big deal to run to the presents under the tree, every such kid puts aside thoughts of breakfast, what to wear, what might be on TV, what to do on a day off, because there's a singular focus upon, to a child, the most important thing, the presence. There's undivided attention and focus. When Paul says that these realities about Jesus give him supremacy in all things, he's also saying that Jesus deserves our laser focus, our undivided attention, our highest priority. He deserves to be our greatest desire. In your life, does Jesus demonstrate supremacy in all things? Some of you would say, God, I give you my life. I trust you. I believe in you. I receive these gifts of salvation. Um, I give you everything, just not my bank account, just not my leisure time, just not my uh, ability to decide for myself what I'm going to do, my vacations, my wine, my escape into entertainment, my sexual pursuits, my demand for comfort. But God, you are supreme. We'll sing it. We'll say it. Will show up on Sunday mornings and confess it. If Jesus is all of this from Colossians chapter 1, supreme above all else, do any of those thoughts make sense? 
as if we say, infinite God who took on flesh to live in order to die, to rescue me from sin and death. You have won for me eternity. I receive that. I return to you everything that you deserve. You promised me an inheritance. Just don't ask me to give up my Happy Meal toys. That's what we're saying to God. I'm clinging to things when you are supreme. I, I say you are above all things, just not these areas of my life. Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. You can receive the gifts that God offers to you only if your hands are empty, only if your hands are free from clinging tightly to created things. Otherwise, God comes along and offers you supreme gifts, and you're like this lady, nowhere to grab onto what God would offer you because you think these things are greater than the supreme one himself, Jesus. Christmas is not about a feel-good holiday to overindulge and to stimulate the economy with your spending. The coming of Jesus confronts you with the supremacy of the king. The only question is, will you bow before him in humble adoration like the Magi? Or will you treat Jesus as an obstacle to your own dreams like King Herod? Second aspect of a natural response to the supremacy of Jesus is to get on mission. Last year during the service, I shared some thoughts about the um, the meaning of the word Christmas. It comes from the word for Christ's mass, mass being Latin for dismissal in the service. It, it was the typical way of ending a service, and it became a message to the people to go on mission, which simply means to, to send, to go forth. And um, that relates to how we end every service here at GRC. Let us go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's a dismissal with a mission. Christ's mass, Christmas, is all about Messiah on a mission. Yesterday, I took uh, two of our kids to see the last Hobbit movie. Bilbo Baggins left the comfort of his Hobbit hole in Bag End in the Shire for 30 months uh, to go on an adventure to save Middle Earth. How much greater was Jesus, the hero of all of history, who left the throne of heaven with its comforts, with its intimacy with Father and Spirit from all eternity past, with the status of sitting at the right hand of the Father in the throne of heaven to humble himself as a baby, to be rejected throughout his life as a prophet, and then to experience an end in humiliation as an accused criminal hanging on a cross. Messiah is on mission. You know, many of us will enjoy a whole bunch of creature comforts this next week. Opening presents, good food and drink, leisure time. Enjoy them as good gifts from God. But the best of these things only give us a hint of what God intends to give us, his children, rich presents. 
until Jesus' second coming. Christmas reminds us what it means to live fulfilling and fully human lives in submission to the King himself. And yes, it may very well involve giving up comfort and status and pleasure because following the suffering servant always involves a life of giving up lesser things to grab hold of greater things. There is a battle for souls going on with eternal consequences. There are hungry people to be fed, lonely people to be loved on, fatherless children to be offered families and homes, spiritually lost people to hear the gospel. Christmas powerfully says, let us go forth to serve the world just as Christ came to do, humbly, sacrificially. The last part of response is to inherit a new world by faith. God makes an offer to humanity. You can be restored to full humanness, to a life as God originally intended for you to fully enjoy by trusting in and following after this Savior who has come and is coming again. Resurrection is His greatest promise. It brings renewal, recreation, renovation, healing from brokenness, ultimate victory over sin and death. So enjoy good things this week. But keep Jesus' words in mind. Mark chapter 8. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Uh, Whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? You lose nothing by laying down your life, by freeing your hands, if you will, in order to take up the new life of the risen Savior whose name is Jesus, who is God and man, who is supremely valuable above all else. In fact, you will inherit a new world that will fully reveal why we sing of Christmas glory. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, this season, this occasion to worship you as king is truly glorious. And we say, praise you, Lord, hallelujah, because we cannot even begin to put into words. We cannot even begin to return to you what you deserve because you have given us all things. You've come to live in order to die. You have conquered sin and death. You are the firstborn over all of creation and the firstborn from among the dead. And we long for that day when we will be fully made new in your glory. We will know why we sing these words. We give you praise, Lord Jesus.